John is my name. And Ian is my name. And we speak to you on a Sunday. You might be listening on a Monday or Tuesday. That's how podcasts work. But mm. we're in a Sunday in August in the year of our Lord 2020. Do you think the Lord still wants to take responsible for the year 2020? No, I would suggest he's probably washed his hands of this year. Yes, this is Satan's year. This, yeah. is, I, this is the one year that I had nothing to do with. This was all Satan's doing. This was uh, Simon Cowell and Satan had everything to do with this year. I mean, I'm not even sure Simon Cowell, he fell off his bike. And yeah, he had back. a biking accident last week. So yeah, so he's probably, yeah, I mean, God, it's, I mean, if it's not bad enough, we've got this global pandemic, Simon Cowell breaks his back. Exactly. I mean, and then I saw last week on, uh, I think it was on Twitter, uh, Nickelback are releasing new material quite soon. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, <laughs> like really doesn't get any worse, does it? <laughs> well, no, and, and I think that there was a brief flowering of hope this this week for me, certainly, with the idea that Kamala Harris is um, has been named the vice presidential nominee on Joe Biden's ticket, and you mm. kind of had this momentary surge of hope, thinking, well, if he's only going to serve one term, then she might be president in twenty twenty four, and yeah. you know what? Maybe this next decade isn't going to be so bad. Yeah, and then you remembered we're in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to win, unfortunately, are they? No, no. Well, no. we can we can hope. I mean, I don't know. This this week, Trump's basically tried to not shut the mailing the mail service down, but he has sort of refused to fund them. And well, he's defunded the postal service because he said that postal votes cause big fraud, big big fraud. <laughs> so, um, and obviously, postal votes because of the pandemic, especially in America, postal votes are going to be a huge thing in the presidential election. So, yeah, well, but who knows? If you think that they cancelled all, I mean, there was supposed to be all—I don't know if in Scotland, but certainly in England—all local government um, elections were supposed to take place in May. The London mayoral elections were supposed to take right. place in, in in May, and they've all been cancelled and put back an entire year because of the dangers of in-person voting. If you think that America is so much worse for us for COVID, mm. the idea of if everybody has to do in-person voting in November, it's, it's quite terrifying. It's flu season. Exactly. Yeah. Oh so, but then again, you, I suppose you're saying it's 2020, but the, like, if Joe Biden were to win, he wouldn't become president until next year, you know, oh, until January. So maybe it will turn out okay for us in the end. That's true. Although the big fear I've always had about President Trump is that he is the time between him potentially yeah. losing an election and him actually leaving power. Well, and that's the thing. I find it hard to imagine him losing the election and then actually agreeing to leave the White House. You yeah. can imagine him barricading himself in and just refusing to come out. Yeah, I know. And in some ways, like, it's funny, the American presidential thing, you take Trump out of it for a second, just the concept, is that they win, they lose an election. And um, they and it happens for Congress and the Senate as well. It's not just president. And they have six to eight weeks with which to do really whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, 
because it's all. I just yeah, I yeah. just imagine what they do is they just bring in board games and wear like casual clothes <laughs> and just treat it like the end of term summer holidays at school. But but I mean, in some ways, it kind of makes a sort of sense to do it that way, as opposed to the absolute craziness. I remember yeah. nineteen ninety seven being the absolute ultimate one of this because I think yeah. it's the, the the genuine shift of power in election. It's the only time actually it's happened in our adult life, whereby John Major realizes at ten o'clock that he's definitely lost the election, yeah. and the movers start. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're back I know. They're still. They haven't even called any seats yet. You know, they're still making the first few calls, and already they've moved about a Downing Street. <laughs> it does you... seem. Yeah, it does seem because, like, normally when you go to a new job, there's normally a kind of like phasing in period or like a transitional phase yeah. where, like, the person who was there before you maybe shows you the ropes. Obviously, with politics, because it's a you know, it's it's normally somebody from a different political party that's moving into power if it's a new person. Yeah, and you know. You can't imagine that happening. You know, if Jeremy Corbyn had, I know this is impossible to imagine, but if Jeremy Corbyn had won that election in December, you can't imagine Boris showing him around number 10, telling no. him what to do. No. It just no. wouldn't happen. Did you see the, the Daily Mail's front page today? Um, I, I did, yes. <laughs> and they're now basically suggesting, well, the, the wording was, did Jeremy Corbyn's communist team give Boris and Cummings coronavirus? <laughs> They're basically saying Seamus Milne gave deliberately gave Boris um, coronavirus. That's an interesting one, isn't it? But I mean, <laughs> even in the most grandest scheme of things, and that is true, is that really front page news? No, no. <laughs> but then we've had a lot. I mean, this week we've had a lot of front page news about migrants coming across the channel in rubber dinghies. Mm. as front page news you know you know a, a small number like maybe a hundred or a couple of hundred people um fleeing um the immigration camps in, in france to come here but that's become like a big news story and the, the, the what i find incredible is that in scotland last week or two weeks ago there was the exam result i don't want to say fiasco but it, it, it kind of was a bit of a fiasco um whereby Tens of thousands of kids had their grades lowered because of a statistical thing that the SQA had put in place. Yes, and and that was in the news for a week. You know, there were there's a, there's been a vote of no confidence in John Swinney, which he he got through. Um, obviously he could did a complete U turn and said, "Look, you know what? All the teacher estimates can just count, and then that's it. We're just going to leave it at that." I'm really sorry. We we tried to do the right thing, but you know it, it's left a lot of people disadvantaged. So we're just going to like reverse on that. And yeah, but so that was that was every day for about ten days. That was in the news. Now the same exact same thing has just happened in England this week with the exams coming out. Yes, but that's not really. I feel like there's been one day of news coverage of that, and then suddenly we're talking about you know migrants and dinghies, and we're talking about Seamus Milne potentially passing on uh, coronavirus to Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings. Um, <laughs> I mean, this week, obviously, this coming week, the GCSE results are coming out. Yeah, and they're already predicting that you know they're saying that like over two million results will have been downgraded. So you wonder what's the news story going? Maybe they're preparing us with this coronavirus one about Seamus Milne. But you wonder what's the big story going to be to make us not talk about the GCSE things? Because as far as I can tell, the I don't think the government, the UK government, are going to do a U-turn on this. Um, well, because I think it, they already did the U-turn, didn't they? When which they said that. Whichever, if your mock, whichever one was highest, yeah, the the grade you received, your mock grade or your teacher estimate, you'll get that one. 
mm. or something. Uh, but it still doesn't seem to have solved the issue. No. Um, I, I mean, to be fair, and I think we should always caveat whatever criticism we have, I have no idea. And speaking of someone that used to be a teacher, I yeah. have no idea how they do that accurately. No, um, I, that, that's the, I mean, that's the thing. It's not, it's not a decision. I mean, that's the thing. There's loads of people shouting from the sides saying, oh, it's a disgrace. You've really messed this up. I don't think there's any politician could come up with a sensible solution as to how to do this accurately. I mean, there's obviously the, what the Scottish government have done is be very generous and just say, look, do you know whatever your teachers gave you, you're just getting that. And that's that. But I understood, I mean, John Swinney stood up in the Scottish Parliament last week and he tried to explain what he had done. He'd spoken to the SQA and he'd said to them, look, we're going to have to go with teacher results However, we want these results to stand the test of time, so we kind of want the same number of A's and B's and C's pretty much that we would normally get in a, in a normal year. Yeah. So, obviously, teachers being teachers have been very generous with their estimates. Mm. Um, and also, just because, you know, on a human level, you're going to have to face the pupils again after the summer holidays. So, yeah. if, you've, if you're the one that's just given them a result, you want to have given them a kind of decent result. And especially but, when you think that some schools because of the way the, 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 the system has changed, certainly from when we were teaching, is that mocks slash prelims, whatever you want to call them, have been pushed back. Yeah. So there's a chance that some, some kids might not have sat a mock by the time the school's closed. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Absolutely. And especially Another, with, with subjects yeah. like maths, whereby you, mm. you, you need to cover a certain amount of the course yeah. before you can have a reasonable mock that, or prelim that could stand you know, stand scrutiny if there was an appeal. Well, I know from working with kids as a tutor now that the, a lot of the teachers at the school, the school that I get most of my business from, the, the teachers around prelim time were very much downplaying the importance of the prelim. They were, they were saying, you know, like, this doesn't really count for anything. We don't really use appeals anymore. So don't worry about it too much. Just go in and try to do your best, but really, it's not going to matter. And unfortunately for a lot of kids, that's what's basically um, decided a final mark. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's a really it's, it's a difficult situation. And, and because, yeah. because I mean, it's, they've obviously tried to use some kind of statistical pattern to work this out, but the problem with exam results is it's such an individualised thing. Mm -hmm. You know, each person that gets a result is a life, is a future, yeah. is a prospect. And even just one person being, you know, downgraded from a, a B to a D, that's, um, I mean, it's life-altering for some people. Yeah. And I think politicians and statisticians maybe forget that a wee bit. And I think it comes on the back of, of 10 years of, of, well, essentially of austerity. And you've got the idea that, um, that social inequalities have risen massively in the last sort of, well, in the last 30 years, but certainly in the last, in the last 10. And so... If you do go to a high-achieving um, middle-class school, then you know the algorithm doesn't affect you. No, to a large extent, it will for some, but the 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 the, the yeah, the algorithm won't affect you badly for the most part. Whereas those kids who are suffering most of the inequalities, the ones that have managed to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, if you like, are the ones that are being who are suffering the most. And it comes on no. the back of something you just mentioned there, which is that over the course of the last 20 years in England and in Scotland too, they decided that appeals was a poor system. I don't know why. I don't know if it was too expensive. I don't know if 
they thought that the exam results were changing too much. I don't know if it was universities who were saying, look, we need to decide our places. And so therefore we can't wait for an appeals process to take place. I've really no idea, but by taking away an appeals process, then all of a sudden when you came to this year where appeals would have been absolutely imperative for those individual kids, for those kids that could go, look, look at all my work. I am an ace star pupil i am a you know grade one pupil there was no there's no appeals process to allow them to do that that currently Mm. works it's 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 a real i don't know it's the legacy of all the decisions that we've made over the last 20 30 years absolutely yeah well i mean they're now saying in scotland there's going to be a review into how we teach and how we assess which is probably long overdue I very much doubt there'll be much of a change because we don't do change lightly in the UK. And I was going to say in Scotland, but I would say across the UK, we don't generally do that. So the idea of moving to continual assessment. I mean, this year of all years, you've got to think there's a very good chance there won't be exams this year because I know, I mean, there's in Scotland, there's already been three schools affected by covid mm-hmm. uh, and two of them have shut down um already and that's us only three days back at school yeah so the chance and what what we're hearing is that if there are cases if there's more than one case in a two-week period the schools have to shut for a few weeks now that then brings into question the fairness of sitting an exam if there's a school maybe in a city or in a poorer area where there's maybe a higher prevalence of covid mm-hmm. say a school has to shut down five times over a 10-week period how can those pupils be asked to sit exams yeah. when there's maybe kids who are in more affluent areas where the schools aren't shut down? I think that's going to be a problem. So I, I do think there's going to be a very frenzied rush to try and move things this year into just looking at continual assessment. I would certainly, if, if anyone listening um, either is at school or has a child at school, I would be saying to all pupils, I've been saying this to my own children and certainly the ones I'm working with, that every single piece of work you do this year, whether it's a homework or it's a timed thing in class or your prelim exam, if you get to do them, you treat every single thing like an exam. Treat it like a piece of assessment that's going to go because I I cannot see a normal diet of exams happening in May next year. And I think they're going to need better and more stringent evidence this year. So everything that you're given, you make sure you give it your absolute all. I mean, you should be doing that anyway, obviously. That's teacherly advice. But I think this year... And the other thing I've been saying as well is um, be nice to your teachers because ultimately they're going to be the ones... If they're asked for estimates, it's going to be them that decides what your child gets in the exam. So if you're a kind of obnoxious, knobbish pupil and the teacher is then given the opportunity to grade you, you know... Teachers are human beings. Um, if you've made your teacher's life hell for 10 months, the teachers will be able to get you back in May by giving you a crappy estimate. So <laughs> work hard and be nice to it. I mean, you should be doing that anyway. Yeah. But I would say this year, above all, you know, of, of all the years, this is the year to work hard and be nice to your teachers because it could, you know, bag you a bunch of A's yeah. that you maybe wouldn't have got otherwise. Yeah, and those pupils that, like, it's interesting because... The, the, our our education system is very much based on the. I, I don't know if it comes from a sort of I don't know where it comes from the mentality we have, but it's the, who can pull it out the bag, on the day, who yeah. who can handle the pressure on the day, and 
I mean, I remember from my own, forgetting my teaching experience, but from my own being a pupil experience, was that um, I used to sit beside people that used to do a normal class test. If it was out of 30, they would always be getting 28s, 29s, and I would be down there on the 23s, 24s. And I was perfectly happy with the 23s and 24s, just get, you know, bumbling along, doing the thinking, what's the point in getting 30 out of 30 in this test? It's fine. Because I know that on the day of the exam, those people that were getting 29s out of 30s will be stressed out of their box. Whereas mm. I'm just going to be able, because I just have that mentality, is I would have just been able to wander in, to turn off all nerves, look at the question, be able to respond to it, and, and work under that kind of pressure and do well under that kind of pressure. Um, does that make me smarter than those people that were getting 30 out of 30 every week? Probably not. Are they, were they harder workers? Definitely. Um, mm. And so perhaps it's going to be the revenge of those people that continually impress people. The hardworking people, basically. Yeah, the hardworking, continually impressive people as yeah. opposed to the well, that's it. more mercurial talent the, people out the bag. The exam is a strange thing because it doesn't really test the things that it should be testing. It tests your ability to cram stuff into your memory in a short space of time. Yeah. Because that's what, I mean, an exam is, it's like it's a memory test more than anything. Um, it also, it tests how good you are at handling a pressure, a high-pressure situation. Yes. And how good your time management is. There's certain, I mean, obviously these are soft skills that you need in adult life, but they're not necessarily a test of your success at school over a four- or five-year period. Yeah. Which does seem incredibly harsh because you could, you could be brilliant at school for five years. What real be one of those people that works hard, does their homework perfectly, gets you know full marks for pretty much everything, but you might also be someone who suffers from incredible nerves. Yes. So when you get into that high pressure situation of going to an exam hall, you go to pieces. Yeah, and that's all you're being assessed on is your ability to sit an exam, and it does seem like a strange, a strange thing to do. I mean, like when you work as an adult. Many of, I mean, I would say many, I would say most actually of the things you do at school, whether it's exams or work you've done in school, most of that goes out the window the second you leave school. Yeah. And it does seem a shame because employers and universities, when they look at candidates, they tend to look at their qualifications and a person's qualifications tell you nothing about them. No. They literally tell you nothing about their personality about their suitability to enter the world of work, about their suitability for a particular job or a particular vocation. You can only tell those things by meeting somebody and probably working with them for a while. Yeah. So the exam, the exam, having the exam is... I understand why we have it, because there needs to be some kind of fair way that everybody's assessed. Yeah. But I do think exams are horribly overrated yeah. and the importance that we store in them. And you, I, I, you'll have done it, I will have done it, teachers still be doing it now. You know, when it gets to exam time, you give them the message of like, this is so important. This this determines your whole life. When realistically, it shouldn't. It's, it really shouldn't. It shouldn't. But we've we've seen from the from the number of um, the things on social media on news stories this week is that those grades do have a huge determinant on whether absolutely you know, and and it's and it's stupid things, and it shouldn't happen in our society. Of course, it shouldn't. But if if you were on course from a normal state school, um, perhaps a on, you know a, a difficult state school and you were on your way to oxford and cambridge and you can't get into oxford and cambridge anymore because of the results you've got those those letters I mean you can't get into oxford or cambridge so you end up going to bristol or somewhere like that which is a perfectly good university however 
you don't mm. have an Oxford University degree, which means you may not get into the corridors of power in the same way you would have done otherwise. You know, that's true. I mean, Gavin Gavin Williamson said this week the danger of giving people better results is you could have a generation of children who are promoted beyond their capabilities which from gavin williamson who's also now obviously the minister for irony as well as the minister for education um yeah but that's a i mean that's an interesting way of looking at it isn't it it is and, and the idea and like you just said then the idea that people can get over promoted and, and about beyond their abilities as you just said when you enter the world of work you soon found out you're soon found out that's the end of the sentence you're soon found yeah. out it doesn't matter if you got you know an an, an a in higher physics if you if mm. you can't help make the rocket go up in the air you're not going to keep yeah. the job well that's the thing and in most lines of work you are found out and obviously in those kind of hyper privileged worlds usually of politics and high finance it doesn't really matter you know yep. it's who you know who your parents were you know what private school you went to you know i mean you, right now we're looking at a, a cabinet that's got gavin williamson in it it's got pretty patel in it it's got grant schnapps i mean <laughs> This is we are governed right now by a a, a a party of people who are promoted beyond their capabilities. Um, so yeah, that's a very strange thing to say. But anyway, I mean, exams aside, obviously the other thing that's going on just now is there's still talk of like lockdown. I mean, there's been lots of local lockdowns in England, even in Scotland. We've seen it in Aberdeen. I mean, you are living, as you said, like you were quite proud that you were living <laughs> in the COVID capital of the UK, um, and you're still in a sort of lockdown aren't you yes i, I actually received a letter um, this week from olden council um which i've got to hand right you i can see you receiving it like in, in, in yeah lockdown. well what i wanted i was asking this before we started recording and i thought no we'll just save this conversation because there'll be a lot there'll be there'll be people listening to this who will have heard talk of a second lockdown and they'll be worried that I mean, that's what, when I hear the word second lockdown, I just assume it's like what happened in March, where they basically say, right, schools close, all non-essential shops close, it's basically just supermarkets and the doctor, and that's it. Mm. But from what you've been saying to me, just reading between the lines of our conversations, I don't sense that that's actually what second lockdown means for the people of Oldham, does it? It doesn't. Not the, 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 the stricter lockdown, I think the thing that um, Leicester ended up with yeah. is that strict lockdown that you were talking about there. But we haven't reached that point yet. Uh, we do have stricter things. So just reading from the sheet here, you cannot meet people from other households in your home or garden. Right. Um, and you cannot visit someone else's home or garden, even if they live outside of the affected areas. Okay. So I can't go and see my dad, for example. Right. Uh, who lives outside of the area and go and sit in his garden. Um, you can only go to pubs, bars, and restaurants with people you live with or your support bubble. So support bubbles are still allowed. Okay. Um, so as I live by myself, um, you know, I don't have to sort of be solitary. I can find a support bubble um, and do that. Um, but, but the fact is pubs and bars and restaurants are still open. Right. Okay, so that's, uh, that seems slightly strange, given that you're meant to be in lockdown, but okay. Yeah. Places of worship, shops, restaurants, and other settings with strict COVID secure arrangements again remain open. So is there anything that's closed? Uh, 
I think public buildings are still closed, like libraries are still closed. Um, I think places like housing offices. So where the, where are the libraries open? I don't think ours actually opened. Because ours haven't up here. We still don't have libraries up here. No. So that kind of thing. I think problems is specifically with libraries is the higher so it doesn't sound what you do with it. It doesn't sound it doesn't sound that strict. It's it just more, sounds like you're not allowed to meet people and that's basically about it. Yeah, the big problem is that families can't gather together. And I don't even mean that in the sense of, you know, Christmas Day when everyone gets together. I yeah, mean yeah. that in the sense that you can't so, see your if family. this was so if this was to happen in September, would you still would the school still be open? Yep, schools are opening. They're opening, definitely opening, definitely. Because I mean, that's the thing in Aberdeen. The schools are still open. Yeah, um, they've they've made so. the decision, I think, and and I can kind of understand. We've talked about schools opening or not opening, yeah. before, and I think they've made the judgment call is that certainly in a place like Oldham, which is uh, really quite, you know, it's not a rich place by any sense of the imagination, is the cost of schools remaining closed, absolutely long term yeah. socially. Um, is 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 worse than opening them and maybe having to shut them again because of COVID. Do you know we got a letter this week from the school to say that they are taking the government up on its eat out to help out scheme, and for the next two weeks on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you get your school dinner half price. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a joke at first, but that genuinely. I mean, it's quite nice. It means that everyone in in North Ayrshire. Get some lunch on a, for a pound instead of two. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like this house, but I, just, I didn't. I... But it seems like you're taking the rip slightly. I mean, the whole point of eat out to help out is to make restaurants seem busier and encourage people to go out and eat on the high street. Yeah, I just feel like schools doing that, it's taking, take, slightly taking advantage of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought it was weird when I discovered the McDonald's was doing eat out to help yeah, out. Yeah, the KFC, Burger King, McDonald's are all doing it. I thought it was like um, the, your local restaurant down the street and mm. stuff. No, the idea that Weatherspoons and KFC can do it um, does seem a bit strange for a logic letter. Yeah, but yeah. So, so in terms of living within a local lockdown, I mean, if you, I mean, you're not allowed to. Obviously, it's against. That's one of the lockdown rules that's against. But if you were to come down and visit me, for example, um, mm-hmm. and we were to go for a walk, um, one of the other rules, by the way, is you're not allowed to share a vehicle with somebody outside of your household. So, I wouldn't be able to drive you around the local area. But um, right. if you were to what about if we had a motorbike and sidecar, <laughs> which I feel is the dream, the kind of Batman and Robin motorbike and sidecar? Well, it would be the greatest day of my life. But um, mm. I think that would be allowed because we're outside, aren't we? But uh, yeah. you would not notice any difference. You wouldn't. The only way you would notice the difference is if you somehow knew that Vera um, only lives with her husband in number sixty-three, and actually there's two. You know, two couples in their 20s that have just come and visited them and you know that they don't live in the same house so they must be breaking lockdown rules like that's the only way you'd know so surely the spread can't be and the giant i mean i, I don't know what the numbers are like in Oldham. do you feel they've got the numbers under control um, or is this just a, is it a token gesture more than anything we were over the i think i think when leicester was closed down if memory serves me right i think it was 135 people per 100,000 had COVID, something like that. Right. Um, and Oldham was at 115, but it was still rising. That had gone up since the previous week. However, that's likely to happen because obviously there's the two-week mm-hmm. you know, lag in finding out what the numbers really are. Yeah. Um, and obviously now we've been going two weeks pretty much. Um, so it's 
it's it's hitting that point now where if it's had any effect, it should be going down in the course of the next week. It's difficult to say whether it is because the problem is, of course, is that the Oldham area, it's not like we're in discrete entities whereby, you know, um, where I grew up, where, 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 you, where you live now, um, you have a village, then you have a three mile, four mile buffer. Then you have another mm. village and then you have another, you know, um, yeah, three mile buffer or whatever. Um, this is more like literally you can, and, and I'll probably be doing that. I'm going for a walk after we finish this podcast is I'll go for a walk and I'll cross the road and I'll go from Oldham into Rochdale. I'll literally mm. cross the road. And I'll switch to how I've gone into a different town. And if I can keep walking, then I'll walk across another road and I'll walk into Manchester. And um, that's weird. And so, thereby trying to keep, you know, the whole of Greater Manchester is in this lockdown zone, mm-hmm. if you like, um, crossing the different towns. And it's difficult to say because in the Greater Manchester area, you're talking two million people or something like that. That's true. Um, mm. And so, it's hard to really govern. And, and it's not like, I thought it would be that, I like you kind of asked me earlier. I think I I can still go to work. Yeah, you know I can still go to work. I'm still allowed to travel outside. So what you're describing to me doesn't sound like lockdown. Then it's just some more restrictions have been put back in place. Yes, that's what so. What have you been told? I mean, I, I do. I find this all very interesting. So have you been told in your letter from the mayor of Oldham or whoever it was you got it from? Um, have you been told what it would take for you to go into the stricter lockdown that Leicester went through? No. Um, I mean, do you know like what the numbers were or what the R rate had to be for that to happen? No, but I think if, I mean, like I say, with Leicester being 135, us are 115, I don't know when they make that call. Is it 125? Mm. I mean, do you have to actually hit 135? Um, and I think it's the trend. If it goes from 115, which it was, I think it was anyway, this, this past week. And if they do the numbers and they crunch the numbers and we've gone to 125, then that's when they might. Because the, the, so the trend is wrong. Is Leicester out of lockdown now? Yeah. I think it's probably back in what we are um, right. currently. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, it's utterly un- unenforceable, the one we have at the moment, because it says here, you know, like I read to you, you can only go to pubs, bars, restaurants with people you live with or your support bubble. However, that's completely unenforceable because if you meet with somebody outside of the place, you walk in, you don't all have to give your, I mean, I don't think that's the case in Scotland. You don't all have to give your But even if you do give your details, there's nothing to ensure that you give accurate details. No, you could all just say... Apart from your integrity. I mean, I've we talked about this last week. You know, when I was on holiday last week, we gave our name and address in several eating establishments. Mm. Nobody asked to see... You know, proof that that's where we live. No. Exactly. So you could very easily just give the same address. Exactly. So it's not and the, very stringently enforced. And the key thing is, they ask for your mobile phone number for the most part. And, and the thing is, even if you know, even if all six of you who were at the pub together gave different mobile phone numbers, of course you're going to give different mobile phone numbers because you all have different mobile phone numbers. It doesn't matter if you live yeah. in the same house or not. Um, I think that 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 that's where it becomes unenforceable and. It's, it's challenging. I don't know how you fix that without shutting everything down. And if you shut everything down, you know, that's a big call to make. Yes. Well, financially, it's a massive call to make. Exactly. And we know that the government, the UK government, are very, very keen not to have to... I mean, they're obviously... Furlough is still existent right now, but they, it's only got another two months to run. Yeah. And they're very keen. I mean, Rishi Sunak was asked this week 
um, if he thought they would be able to extend furlough for the sectors that are not able to open up, because there are there are people who are still not able to go back to work because they can't legally; they're not allowed to. Yeah, but he said no, no, we can't. And he's he's now basically because at the start he was all like, yeah, we're going to put our arms around everybody, and it's going to be great, we're going to protect you. And now he's like, well, you know, we can't save everybody. You know, we can't help everybody. So some folk are just going to die um, <laughs> of poverty. And it's, yeah, sorry about that, guys. I know. They should just put Gavin Williamson in charge because he's very, you know, authoritative. And, you know, you feel safe when Gavin Williamson speaks. Yeah, exactly. Well, he used to be Scarborough's foremost fireplace salesman. Did he? He did. He won awards. Oh, could you imagine getting your house? So I've got this fireplace that I'd like to sell you. And it's a very good fireplace. And you, you, I, he talks. He talks weirdly. You mock, like, but he won Fire Salesman of the Year twice. I bet he did. I mean, he speaks, but he kind of reminds me of. He's very old-fashioned. Yeah. Because when he talks about schools, he's always like, "And the great thing will be the schools will be opening in September, and the children can come back, come back to their lessons, the lessons that they're missing." And he keeps talking about the kids. Like no child says, "Oh man, I'm really missing my lessons." <laughs> no child says that. No child has ever said that. I don't think. Not in this century has ever no. said, "Do I really miss my lessons at school?" But he kept saying that. He's like, they're really, they can't wait to get back to their lessons and their friends. So like, friends, possibly. Lessons, I don't agree with you there, Gavin. No, Gavin, we're going to have to, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that respect. Oh, that's a very nice fireplace you've got, though, Gavin. <laughs> oh, it's interesting you say that because I used to be the fire salesman of the year. Well, the thing wow. is, it kind of makes sense with that, the way you're talking there. Is, is, there's a hint of the Alan Bennett's there. And if you think Betty. who buys fireplaces, it's Alan more Bennett. your elderly clientele, isn't it? So it would fit. Yeah. It, now you're saying it, it does all the puzzle all fits into place. Exactly. But then you wonder, how did he become the education secretary, though? Well, <laughs> I can it. see him as a fire salesman. <laughs> um, did, wasn't he the one that got sacked from the Defence Department for leaking information to foreign governments? He always denied that. Right. But he did get sacked <laughs> for doing that, though, didn't he? Theresa May did basically say that he did that, though, yes. Yeah. And he said, well, the foreign people were just looking forward to their lessons. That's all. <laughs> Would you and like to buy a fireplace? They bought a lovely marble mantelpiece to go with it. <laughs> I sold them a lovely mahogany frame. <laughs> it is very Alan Bennett, actually. It Did you realise that? Anyway. anyway, I think this would probably be quite a good place to leave it. Excellent place to leave it, talking about Alan Bennett and mahogany fireframes. Exactly. I, I mean, I've quite enjoyed our chat. I hope, listener, you have too. Yes, indeed. And we hope you stay safe, you stay well, and you... What, is, is there a slogan now? Is, I think it's still the it's still the stay, stay safe, alert. stay alert. Yeah, save lives. Is it still protect the NHS? Save lives. I think. I, I, do do we rather protect the NHS anymore? Because they don't. Do, I mean, you. They're not doing news things. I mean, they're not doing um, meetings anymore. What, what, what do you call them? Press, press briefings. Press yeah. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon still does like four or five of them a week. Well, up here, she's still you know every other day at twelve fifteen. She comes out with Gene Freeman or John Swinney and it'll be one of the, like Jason Leach or somebody, one of the clinical directors. Every, I mean, every week we get four or five of them live on the BBC. Wow. And yet, when did the, when did the UK government stop doing them? Oh. June? June, yeah. They decided there wasn't enough news. Mm. Well, not enough good news. Not enough good so. news, that's true. That's yeah. true. Anyway, look, there's some people on a diggy coming from France. Oh. <laughs> James Milton lovely, looks peaky. Lovely fireplace sales. sales oh, lovely fire. I've got some guy. That's. I'm surprised actually at the start of, you know, it's like today we're going to give the statistics, you know, 915 new deaths, 
three fireplaces sold in Oldham. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean to mention that. Did I tell you I was fireplace salesman of the year? Two years running. Anyway, right. right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Yep. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.